Um, we also suffered another tragic loss this week. John Buffalo uh, passed away on Monday, May the 2nd. And John was one of our most longtime and most dedicated family. He did Shantasina for decades, and he, he participated in every part of Rainbow, and he will, he will be missed very, very much. Uh, finally, after, uh, after we listen to this next stand-up set, uh, there has been a flurry of Rainbow Gathering-related news uh, in the media recently. Colorado has figured out that the 50th anniversary Rainbow Gathering will be coming their way, and the newspapers are all trying to guess where it'll be, how many people are coming, what the impact will be, and all of us are watching and trying to see how many times the headline will say that we are descending on some mountain town or another. Uh, so enjoy the current event and news download. But first, we hope you will enjoy a few laughs with our favorite rainbow stand-up comedian. We love you, Gladys. This episode's for you. It's happening. It's happening. Oh, good evening. First of all, you guys, thank you so much for letting me practice. Oh, my God. It's been like a year, so uh, don't, don't expect much. But, but this is a golden opportunity for me, and I'm so grateful. Um, also, I used up all my short jokes the other night, so let's, let's just get into it. Uh, my name's Gladys. I did move to New England for the wintertime. Uh, I know that's kind of unusual. I know a lot of people up here don't appreciate it. I hear, I hear them all the time. They fantasize about moving to Florida or Arizona or California, and they don't even know. I, I mean, I, I can tell what they're thinking. They're like, oh, I'm going to wear flip-flops all the time. I can lick a metal pole all year round. Uh, I'm going to wear a straw hat like in the Jason Mraz videos. But man, it's it that kind of thing can turn out with the darkness. Cause okay, basically when we don't share an objective reality that is the weather can kill you for half the year, hippies start thinking all the ideas in their head are right. It's terrifying. Just any idea that pops into their stupid little dreadlock head could be correct. You know, stuff like vaccines cause autism. I should wear a more whimsical hat. Uh, you know what I should do? Start a start a chapstick company with weed in it. That's what I should do with my entire life. Basically, I'm saying that you need the harsh winter time to press your hippies down. Man, you get out there, it starts getting kind of spooky. I mean, up in Vermont, it's great. Even our rednecks, like you know, your eighth generation Vermonter, they're they're pretty they're pretty good. A, they've been to another country. They've been to Canada. B, you know, they just got that out of the gene pool a long time ago. If you couldn't hang out at a party 300 years ago, you had to go outside. And it's negative 30, and that's, that's the end of you. You know, out west, somebody can't behave. They go outside. They're just outside. Right outside. Like, right fogging up the windows. Right out there. Be like, oh, people don't know so much. I'm just going to walk out of this party and sleep underneath the manzanita tree. <laughs> So I, I moved to New England from the deep south. Um, south, it's, it's been in the news lately for rising again. And, you know, we had a lot of problems out there growing up. I mean, I'll get into it. You know, crystal meth, it, it ravages communities. And people are always so down on meth heads. But, you know, there's some upsides. There's some upsides. For one thing, meth heads, man, they'll make you 
super nostalgic for crackheads. <laughs> and how and how they just want more crack and you can predict all their actions based on that. The thing with meth is, oh man, it makes you super crazy. It costs almost nothing. Like you can do three days a week at Burger King and pay for your meth habit. So what you have what you have is a lot of crazy people walking around very quickly, obviously. A lot of time on their hands to work on their bespoke insanities. <laughs> It'll be stories like, oh, my, my neighbor's stealing my spark plugs, but you know, it's so we can build a time machine so we can go back in time and break Avril Lavigne's nose and somehow that's gonna end the designated hitter rule. So, you know, it's for a good cause. I'm not mad. Or like, you'll be in an alley and some dude will come up and you think he's gonna rob you or whatever, but he just wants you to sign a contract he made about not taking your shoelaces for granted. <laughs> so, that's fine. That's fun. Uh, I had two kids recently, or so they tell me. Um, I know that shit's been hard, because I didn't even have that thing in high school where they give you like a fake baby that you can take care of. Did that happen at anybody's high school? In real life? Did, what, what kind of baby was it? What the fuck? I thought cuz they had I thought it was going to be an egg like in Saved by the Bell cuz now they have a, mechanic, a sack of flour. That's not realistic at all. You can't you can take a baby to a fish fry. Like a sack of flour. Watch out. Man, weird. No, I mean the whole point of that assignment is they wanted you to fail, right? They want you to have the baby and you see how much it sucks to be a teen mom and then you don't want to be a teen mom. But then, like, if you do pass the assignment, are you good to go? Are you good to be one now? Like, like when Mothers Against Drunk Driving comes to your school fair and they have those goggles you put on that makes you drunk, and then you drive with them, but then if you do a good job driving, they give you a laminated card that says you're allowed to drive drunk now? Because you did it? Or, like, when the D.A.R.E. officer comes to your school and he's got all those little samples of drugs in a plastic case and then he lets you do some of the blow and you're you're so good at doing it you're so good at doing it. You, do, you say all the stuff that people in cocaine are supposed to say to each other like like oh your idea for a restaurant sounds incredible i just i think it's important to be honest with children about where restaurants come from I think you gotta sit them down on the edge of the bed and look right in their eyes and just say, when two men named Philip and Dana love themselves very, very much, they have a restaurant concept together. And that's where they come from. People these days, a lot of people these days, they want comedians to be like more than comedians. They want to be like, you know, preachers or motivational speakers. They want to ask, you know, ask the important questions in life. So I'll, I'll try. Can anybody name all the members of Limp Biscuit? Any of them? You guys, you guys know at least one, right? Right. It would be Fred. It would be Fred Durst. And then some people, I guess, some people also know about the spooky, uh, the, the spooky bass player. I'm not familiar with him. Uh, did you know that wasn't a puppet? That was a real dude, just wearing contacts. But yeah, Fred Durst is the only one anybody ever knew. And that would be really good to be Fred Durst in the 90s, because it's like, you know, you're getting the good restaurant tables, you're getting all the barred out groupies. Um, you would want to be him, not the drummer, because it's like nobody knows who the drummer is. But then if you go fast forward to today, you'd way rather be the drummer, because you're getting those residual checks, but nobody knows you're in Limp Biscuit. 
<laughs> Nobody but you. Not like Fred Durst, who has who has two hundred and ten million dollars. I looked that up. He's a rich man, but he can't enjoy it because uh, he's trapped inside the body of Fred Durst. <laughs> like even if you rent out the entire go kart pavilion, like there's still you know the two employees are still laughing because it's Fred Durst there. That's hilarious. He's, I'm, I'm just saying he lives in a prison made out of Fred Durst. <laughs> and so you can't even enjoy the riches. Man, wasn't it crazy how Linkin Park made all those songs about dudes having emotions, but they had to use super tough action verbs so they'd accept it? Like, dudes are always, and people in the songs, are they're crawling and falling and ripping and tearing. It's like, we get it. You're feeling stuff. You're feeling stuff. Okay. Uh... <laughs> Is it's I feel it's pretty boring when white people talk about their heritage, right? When someone's trapped you in a conversation, they're telling you about how there's Scotch, German, Irish on their mom's side, and they're Dutch, Irish, Scotch on their dad's side, and so on and so forth. I don't know. I don't think people, Caucasians, should uh, get to have heritage like that. There's there's usually I mean Irish is definitely going to be in there. The Irish are super proud of being Irish, all the time. So many parades. But then I guess, you know, there was how they used to be, like, slaves, and people considered them, like, less than human, like, not even white, like a subspecies of human. We should get back to that. We should bring, that was, that was tight, in my opinion. Ugh, knock him down a bit. Aww. Aww, I know, you were slaves. Um... And so, people here listen to NPR, but I bet you've heard stuff about, like, the call of the abyss. Anybody ever heard of, of that phrase before? It's the name for that feeling that you get when you're on, like, top of, like, like when you're on top of a building and you think about, think about falling off, when you think about the worst possible thing that could happen. If you're driving and you think about jerking the wheel, not that you're going to do it, you're not suicidal. You're just thinking about, you know, what would happen if I went down that route. I've... I've been having a lot of conversational call of the abyss lately when I'm talking to folks. I just, it's, it's talking with my enjoyment of life. Okay, the, 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 the real example, like the real life example of this was I was hanging out with my friends the other day and uh, there was a story on the news about some Scientologists in Turkey that were handing out pamphlets and uh, they were charged with this, with this old school crime of theirs called like inciting fear, inciting fear on the street. And since it was a story about Scientology, of course, they have a picture of Tom Cruise up there. Just like a random red pic uh, red, uh, red carpet picture of Tom Cruise doing that toothy Tom Cruise grin he does. Where he's like, like that one. And I stood up and went over the TV, and, like pointed at his, his fucked up big front teeth. And I was like, hey guys, more like incising fear, am I right? <laughs> Which caused a mild titter. It's not a good joke. It caused a mild titter of laughter. But I couldn't even enjoy that little tiny moment of pleasure of bringing other people laughter, because immediately I was thinking, man, you know what would make things really upsetting and awkward? If you just said that again. If you just said the punchline again. More like incising fear, am I right? For a second time. But then that would probably, it'd probably work out because people would think you were just excited about your joke landing and were like saying it one more time. They'd give you a little, a little credit. But then, man, if you said it a third time, <laughs> you're like, hey, guys, 
More like incising fear, am I right? Ha ha ha. More like incising fear, am I right? More like incising fear, am I right? That third time, like, people are going to frown a little bit and furrow their brows, and they're probably not going to say anything. They might shoot each other a glance, but then what if you said it a fourth time? <laughs> What if you said it four times? Oh, fuck. Now this is like the worst part of everyone's day. They feel so uncomfortable. They're fucking hating it. They're hating it. Oh, geez. They're like looking around. And then you get into like five, six, seven. People are looking at the table. They might try to physically leave the room. There's like more like incising fear, right? More like incising fear. And then you go into like eight, nine, ten times. They have to look at you because what if you stab them? They don't want to get stabbed. Oh. And then it's like, how many times can you say the same thing in a row before they like call somebody before like they get a straight jacket for you and put it on you or like just get on the phone about it i mean I, not out here though fuck not right here you could say something five hundred thousand times and just be like oh that's more like incising fear marks he he's like that we love him he's great uh okay so here's here's a here's a thing that's hard to do in audiences of normal people that would be easier out here like, stuff about traveling, it's hard to explain the lifestyle to people. It's hard to explain a lifestyle where it's like, I would spend a lot of time doing stuff in front of signs that were telling me exactly not to do that. Like, the sign says no soliciting, but I'm hardcore soliciting all day, getting, getting that cash. Or a sign that says, you know, dogs must be leashed, and my dog's never on a leash. I would never. Come on, forget about it. Uh, and then, you know, eventually a security guard will come up to you, and they'll, like, jerk their thumb back at the sign you know, tell you got to get out of here. Sometimes, sometimes they would point to the sign and be like, hey, can't you read? And when I had that opportunity, I would always say, no. <laughs> and that would usually, they just give me a weird look, but then sometimes, oh my God, sometimes they would be like, why? <laughs> and then, then you got a real sandbox to play in. That's so good. You can say, you know, I'm always going to say something, I'm always going to say something real, like something that's going on in someone's real life, like, oh, I was actually, like, in a cult until I ran away at age 21, and they never taught us how to read, and we didn't really go much past the third grade or whatever, and can you help me get my documents, like a social security card, or, like, ask them... You know, or like some frozen airplane waste. It fell out and it hit me on the head. And ever since then, I can't read. And, and the hope is that he like goes home to his family that night and he tells them of this fantastical tale of this of this person that he met and their story. And then they all think about people whose lives are different from theirs and might not have the same opportunities. And they, they you know, have a better understanding, more empathy. Or there's also the possibility that he says to me, hey, my sister's the only person who's been hit by frozen airplane poop in this hemisphere since 1974. And then now I learned something. I'm the one that learned the lesson. And I'd like that too. Man, being out, being out there sometimes, you know, you, you're, you're out there for years and stuff. Sometimes the compass gets a little spun. You, start wondering if you're doing the right thing i would i mean i was having a great time out there but just driving all over america i'd wonder myself is it right to be doing this should i be out here doing all these drugs having depraved sex with strangers um 
is it the best use of my talents and time, limited though they may be? And when I was having one of these moments of, you know, sort of like existential crisis, um, I'm so glad that I got behind an edible arrangements truck. Because once I saw that truck and that papaya response, uh, <clears throat> I knew that, like, I just remembered edible, arrangement, uh, ed edible arrangements and what it is <laughs> that there's, like, a whole building where, where people have to show up to so they can cut up pineapples and put wooden dowels in them. And that they're using fossil fuels to, like, haul it all over America to, like, I guess people that work at the bank. I don't know. <laughs> Who orders edible arrangements? But, like, it's an entire company that people work for and you know kind of harming the environment with their activities and it's i'm fine you know if that's going on i'm good i'm good to go i'm not i'm not the person that stuck a wooden dowel in a cookie and uh <laughs> took that to the bank to get a loan about it everything i do is fine so you guys speaking of not being able to read you guys you probably heard dyslexia before right they they told me when I was little I had an opposite condition called hyperlexia. And I don't know how true that is, but I could definitely read before I could talk or before I was, you know, like three. And and uh, can still read pretty fast. And uh, growing up, you'd, you'd think that would be a, you know, a boon that would get you ahead in life. But also, it didn't really come with, like, a expanded, you know, maturity or consciousness or intellectual ability. I could just read the words really fast. My parents wouldn't take me to the library. They would just take me to, like, the grocery store where they would buy me every Stephen King book uh, in print. And, man, when I was six, I read Cujo because it had a doggy on the cover. <laughs> and you guys, in the book Cujo, a guy breaks into his girlfriend's apartment, smashes every single thing that she owns, ejaculates on her bedspread, and then leaves. And at the time, that was distressing to me because, you know, I mean, first of all, I didn't want all my unicorn figurines smashed, but also the semen part. That was that was hard for me to deal with because, like, I knew Salem's Lot wasn't real and that, like, uh, you know, Pet Cemetery was a made-up story, but I, I was already pretty aware that semen was hella real, like, as a concept and around me all the time. And and I just I just didn't know... Is that, is that how adults treated each other? Is this what dating was going to be like? Is this what I have to get ready for? But it didn't even matter because, like, now, if I came home now and found a puddle of semen on my bedspread, y'all, I'm not even washing that for, like, four days. I'm just kicking it to the bottom of the bed. Who cares? Who cares? Uh, so, man, child actors. Why are, why are we still why are we still having them? Like I'm not the best parent, but I know more than to ever let that happen to my kid. What a bizarre ass life. It's the only profession too that we allow kids to do if they want to. It's not like anyone's like, "Oh, our son, Mar you know, Mur Murphy just loves oil fracking." So so we did quit our jobs and moved to North Dakota just to just to give him a push. See if it works out for him. As long as he's enjoying it, though. No one, even if you're like, even if your first grader is a math whiz, no one's like, oh, you should pull him out of elementary school, and make him a CPA. That that'd be good for him. And honestly, oil fracking probably be safer for kids as a profession because like, acting's the only profession that requires you on a daily basis to put your kids in the car and drive them on purpose to a building that's full of like, you know, pedophiles.
sycophants and like people that whitened their dog's teeth and just the absolute scum of the earth. People that, that are probably going to fuck up your kids mentally and probably just plain fuck them. And I've heard that's bad for their development. <laughs> it's not good for them. Man, I can't even enjoy watching a movie that has a bunch of kids in it, like Stranger Things or something. I feel like I'm watching a snuff film of their childhood. I feel like I'm watching a movie, uh, you know, where the dog dies, but from back before it was illegal to kill animals on screen. Which was 1939. You guys know that before 1939, those horses are not okay. They didn't make it. It wasn't, it wasn't good for them. And then sometimes people will try to tell me, oh, some of the child actors turn out all right. What about Jodie Foster? Jodie Foster's okay. But you guys know, Jodie Foster's like best friends with Mel Gibson. So is she okay? <laughs> is she okay? Uh, I got more, but I think, I think I'm just going to stop now. Why? No, more. That's Okay. Um, <laughs> what did I have? What did I have written on the sheet of paper? Poker stories is one of Ooh. testosterone. Testosterone starts off with talking about NPR and like I'm, I'm not sure that might be like a little specialized. I don't know. It's just I it's a little cute for me lately. You guys listen to NPR often? I don't know. Like Steve Inskeep pretending not to know how to pronounce like rap you know words and rap lyrics on the bumper stuff and like oh man Radio Lab fucking Radio Lab. Like, if you're telling a story that takes place in England, you don't have to play Hail Britannia for me to, like, hold that idea in my head. It's fucking babyish. Um, but anyway, so I was listening to it one day because there's nothing else in the car. They were doing a story about testosterone, like people that had too much of it or too little of it, people that had, like, transitioned their gender or whatever and what that was like. And um, they were going down a list of, like, uh of like fact uh, attributes to people that had like a lot of testosterone in their body. And I was hearing it, I was like, okay, yeah, maybe identify with some of that. It was stuff like square palms and like a deep voice. And a, one of them literally, this is literally one of them, a wolfish grin. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, another one of them was if you were in high school, voted most likely to Sarah Connor, which I was. <laughs> no, that wasn't really one. That wasn't really one. Uh, but the last one uh, they told you about, which is completely real, was that levels of testosterone rise when you are uh, both working out, like in the middle of a really hard workout, or watching violence, even recorded violence, like people fighting. And when I heard that, I knew it was time to take my workouts to the next level by watching <laughs> videos of people beating the shit out of each other first. Yeah. And you guys, it is it works so well. Oh my God. Yeah. I would utilize... Go to, go to any kind of fight porn site. It, you know, when you're, like, watching a video of a fight at 2 a.m. and you get embarrassingly hype about it, like, you're... Yeah, like UFC? Yeah, sure, that too. But, I mean, no, I want them to, like, mean it. I want someone to have snatched somebody something and then now, like, an unholy fury is coming down. I watched them all. High school fight videos. Like, I didn't get into the Appalachian free school MMA backyard scene. But that exists. That exists and it's out there. And uh, I'm so grateful. But then it got me in trouble because uh, back when I was living my car, I would work out sometimes by sneaking into the fitness room of like a Ramada Inn or something. Uh, you would just like fish a Starbucks cup out of the garbage, have sweatpants on and a messy bun. And then now, you know, bust out a workout real quick before I go fly a sign. 
And I'm in, I'm in the Ramada one time waiting for somebody with a card to come wipe it through so he can get into the little tiny room with the foggy mirrors and the, like, one Nordic track. And I'm listening to, I'm, I'm watching the fights on my cell phone with headphones. And then eventually this, like, elderly dude in basketball shorts uh, comes to use the gym. It's great for me. He stands up, he swipes the card. And as he goes in, I duck in behind him really quick. And as I do, the door slams shut and catches my headphones and pulls them out of the phone. And then now all of a sudden we're like in this tiny room together and there's just the sounds of like, get him, Jeremy, get him, Jeremy. Fuck him up, fuck him up. And he was like looking at me, kind of confused. I was just like, this is what music sounds like now. This is what the kids listen to. Um, okay. I don't want to talk about the Myers-Briggs personality index. I don't want to talk about pedophiles. Um, I invented some new dog breeds, I guess. You know, like, I mean, it just sucks that we have all these dogs that, that are trained to do hyper-specialized tasks. That we took all their dogs away. I mean, we took all their uh, jobs away in the span of, like, 50 years. I just don't think it's fair. They're like quivering with excitement to do the thing they were trained to do. And we don't want them to do it. We got to start over. We got to start from scratch. Dogs for modern people to solve modern problems. You know, like a, a dog, like a retriever. But they only retrieve cash and jewels. And also they can break into people's houses. That's a dog that I could use. Um, <laughs> You know, dogs that are good for selfies, really glossy, stand in front of you, reflect the light. Um, dogs that, like, secrete antibiotics from their eyes, but every day they change a little bit to keep up with today's fast-paced MRSA outbreaks. You know, like a, mid, a dog that, if people call themselves their dog's mom, maybe you hit 40 and the dog's face will change to look like your face. So then you don't feel so bad about not completing the biological imperative. I don't know. Sometimes when I'm in public with my dog, she'll be asleep and she'll be twitching like dogs do when they dream and, you know, making little noises and shit. And people are always like, oh, she must be chasing rabbits. Or, you know, stuff that dogs do during the day. But sometimes the dog tries to hump me, so it's like, you gotta figure some of those dreams. Some of those dreams, you're not stopping them. Like, you're into it. Hmm. Of all the things that COVID took away from us in Burlington, Vermont, near where I live, the one thing I can't believe it didn't take away was the axe throwing bar. <laughs> Somehow, there's still a bar. It survived the pandemic where you can go throw axes at the wall. And it makes me so goddamn mad. Oh, man. I know I shouldn't get that worked up over it. It's just, oh. <clears throat> because they're not chopping wood in there. It's not surrounded by, like, you're supposed to chop, like, you know, 10,000 cords of wood first. They're, they're trafficking in working class signifiers. I don't love that. Plus the fact that you just know... If it came down to the cut, they're not—they're not even helping people do it. They're not even going to be able to do it. Like I'm out here in the middle of nowhere, chopping wood for the apocalypse. They're in there twirling them around like majorettes. And if in fact the apocalypse did happen, and there was like you know a horde of people from Brooklyn cresting the hill, 
coming to take over my house in Vermont, and you needed somebody, you needed one of these Burlingtonians to sink the tip of that axe into the forehead of one of these fucks, they're, they're going to be like, oh, it's not a regulation axe. It needs to be tuned. Uh, so I guess I might as well... Sure, I'll I'll do the the hooker story last because I got to get back to those to the kids. They'll probably need me. But uh, <clears throat> go all, way out there. Go. So uh, before, uh, yeah, before this life, I used to have like a whole a whole different one where I had like long hair and uh, long nails and high heels and oh, for the purposes of this story, I guess it is important. Not just a, a brag to say, like, I used to be super hot. Before I lost, like, most of my teeth, which causes your face to sink in, yeah, I was I was pretty attractive. Like, people used to say Angelina Jolie, but that's not true. That's That was way too hot. But absolutely Jessica Alba hot. That's an objective fact. I was absolutely as hot as, like, Jessica Alba. So, anyway, um, I... Also, I'm tired of standing up now. So... I had parlayed this into, like, a fairly... I went from Craigslist hooker to, like, tech bro hooker, which was, you know, fairly a fairly lucrative enterprise. And, um... Huh? Like, uh, you know, like a... I, uh, I would say mostly tech bros is, is who I was working for. And so for the setting of this story is... I was in the car with one of these dudes one day, and he was going off about my mom's declawed cat. I mean, you know, like, I've been seeing the dude a little bit, and he just hated that my mom's cat uh, had been declawed. I don't, I don't, I know we're not supposed to like it. I don't have that much of a problem with it. I mean, it was still could climb trees. The cat seemed happy enough. Otherwise, it was going to go to an animal shelter in Memphis, Tennessee, which would have been death. So it's like declawing or death, whichever one you think is better. But he was, he was all up in arms about it. He's like, oh, man, don't you know it's just like cutting your knuckle off, your, your finger off at the first knuckle. That's, that's their fingers in there. And I was like, well, honestly, I think cats would be able to make that decision. I think if you offered a cat free room, board, medical care, and food for the rest of their natural life, they'd probably lose the first knuckle voluntarily. I know I would. If somebody was offering me <coughs> free room, you know, food, medical care for the rest of my life, you can have the first one, you know, little bone pieces. And he said, do you want to put your money where your mouth is? And I said, what? And he said that there was places on the internet, not the World Wide Web, but the internet, where he could put an ad like that, and maybe somebody would take me up on it and, uh, you know, decide to provide those things in exchange for, you know, safely uh, in a medical setting, cutting the tips of my finger off. And I didn't have to think long about it before I said yes, because, come on, <laughs> the first knuckles in your finger? What the fuck? You can still dial a phone, pull a grenade, masturbate, Vulcan salute. What else is there? Those four things? Come on, you're good. It's good. That's all you need to do. And so he put the ad on the internet, and uh, surprisingly quickly it got answered. If you had to guess a part of the world from which someone who would take me up on that offer would originate, what do you think? New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, China? <laughs> no, not, nobody there Tell can afford it. Tell me the answer so I don't sound ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> what you would now call the UAE. They're definitely, they definitely grow some weird ones. United Arab Emirates. Yeah, in that, in that part of the world. Um, Did they want your knuckles? 
yeah, they actually wanted a whole lifestyle thing. Like that was get, that was getting worked out. You know, am I going to like live at the house? Do I wear a collar? It was finally decided it was going to be just like you know, I had my own oh, separate oh, you domicile. Oh, to you like a cat. Yeah, no, that yeah, yeah that's. that's... <laughs> yeah, I don't see claw cats. <laughs> that's not apparently a lot of people already. don't. I mean, my mom did. I don't judge other people. Uh, anywho. This is a conversation too. It's a co right because I'm sitting down. Fuck. Ha ha. That's why they make them stand up. Now I get it, or else you're just talking, or you're just talking. Oh. Gosh. Tradition. Tradition. Don't fuck with it. Well, United Arab Emirates have a lot of money, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Some uh, some free stuff going on. But luckily, before before that uh happened uh some other shit went down and uh i basically ended up hitting the road because i was being you know pretty heavily surveilled by these dudes but it was kind of a shame because i had already practiced you know doing a bunch of stuff that was going to be needed in my new cat lifestyle like jumping up on the mantle and knocking a bunch of shit off <laughs> Shitting in a box of sand, much to the dismay of other people at the playground. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna sit down now. Rainbow's return to Strawberry Lake for 50th anniversary, unlikely, from the Grand Gazette, March 27th, 2022, by Marissa Lorenz. On March 3rd, a post made to a number of Grant County Facebook groups announced, warned, about 20,000-plus coming to a forest near you. Rumor has it it's happening in Grand Lake. The post was referencing the 2022 Rainbow Family Gathering, the 50th anniversary of an annual event first held at Strawberry Lake near Granby. For those who are unfamiliar with the Rainbow Family of Living Light, it grew out of various cultural and youth movements of the late 1960s and early 70s. Their annual world gatherings have become month-long events that center around a prayer and meditation circle for world peace, usually held on July 4th. Some have described the group as the largest non-organization of non-members in the world with no leaders and no organization. Others commonly refer to them as dirty hippies. And while Rainbow-created websites maintain that it is long-standing Rainbow Family consensus that nobody has ever or ever will represent the Rainbow Family, they often talk about such things as communal peace, love, and harmony on and with the planet Earth. That 1972 gathering was the Rainbow's first intentional large group gathering, drawing an estimated 20,000 to Grant County. A New York Times article from the period says that they came to meditate in the forest to chant prayers together, talk over things, and play flutes and guitars and drums under the spruce and aspen trees. It also details how local government opposed the event. Then-Governor John Love swore to prevent the gathering. The state closed roads to the campground. It tried to ban food from the area. But eventually, it was the young people who decided the issue. By hiking through the forest to get to the location, after being stuck in the town of Granby, many without accommodation, for seven days of standoff. The article goes on to say that concerns of health epidemics were unfounded, that waste was buried in military-style trenches, and that there was little evidence of drug use outside of an occasional marijuana cigarette. One-time journalist and owner-editor of the Middle Park Times, Ed Quillen, later wrote about being at that first event as a young reporter. 
Two years after that, I was editing the Kremlin newspaper in Grand County, and I heard the local side of the story, Quillen wrote. The Strawberry Lake crowd hadn't caused that much real trouble, but any substantial population spike in a remote and unpopulated zone, the county had only 5,000 people in those days, was burdensome and disruptive. But those contemporary accounts conflict with local memory as recalled today. That March 3rd post has garnered over 100 comments on one Facebook page, with most expressing negative attitudes toward the Rainbow Gathering and a hope it will not come back to the area. They pay for nothing and leave feces everywhere, states one Facebook commenter. For all the world peace and sacred healing they spew, it is wildly overshadowed by a lot of destructive and dangerous behavior, says another. And yet another local laments, We have laws in the county code because of this nightmare. It's why we can't live in a camper on our own property. Few voices speak in defense of the event, though two individuals claim to know that the gathering will not return to the Granby area. And a longtime rainbow who calls himself Muddy George recently echoed that unlikelihood. By phone, George, a Colorado native and self-described protector of our national forest, recounts his first gathering, the second in Colorado, held in 1992 in Paonia. I was concerned. I went with the intention of participating, but I also wanted to make sure a large gathering would be safe and environmentally friendly to Colorado. George says he has attended most annual gatherings since, serving in various capacities, including as part of the Vision Council that makes consensus-based decisions about upcoming events. He confirms and stresses that no decisions have yet been made about the 2022 location other than that it will be in Colorado. George explains that scouting of potential sites takes place on a continual basis. We know that we're a large group, so areas that work for our needs, such as parking, water, camping, are generally areas that are already permitted, already have an impact use, and have historically been used by other large groups, such as large hunting camps or grazing or logging activities. Sites that are vulnerable or problematic don't meet our needs. Burn scars and rehabbing burn scars don't meet our needs, George assures. The strawberry site, being a sensitive area, would negate its consideration. And Muddy George understands well the community's concerns about fire. He lost his own home to a Colorado wildfire in 2002. Yet he continues to return to the gathering, seeing firsthand the work done being, being done to mitigate not just fire, but violence, long-term environmental damage, and waste accumulation. As for Grand County safety officials, they are already in discussion about resource needs should the Rainbow Group decide to return to the area. We are aware of the likelihood of the 2022 World Rainbow Family Gathering happening in Colorado and the possibility it could take place in Grant County, says Grand County Sheriff Brett Schrotland. While it is too early to know with any certainty, it is our understanding that historically the location of the gathering is not determined until after their spring council in June. We are engaged in preliminary discussions with the United States Forest Service as the event would most likely be on public lands. Our local, state, and federal partners will be prepared should the event materialize, and we will strive to minimize the local impacts it could bring to our community. And Regin Cloudman, Public Information Officer for the Arapaho National Forest, affirms that same message. We know the community is still recovering from the 2020 fires and the pandemic on top of that. Here, we have the advantage of knowing this event may occur, giving us time to prepare for it, and allowing us to plan for a significant number of additional resources to support safely and environmental efforts. More details of how a coordinated response to a planned Grand County Rainbow Family Gathering would work, and who would be involved in what capacities, is expected in the coming weeks. The U.S. Forest Service will be communicating that information as it is determined.
Thousands from Rainbow Family Sect plan to descend on Colorado this summer, making law enforcement nervous. Like the Burning Man Festival, but weirder, reports indicate. By Conrad Swanson from the Denver Post, March 31st, 2022. The 50th anniversary of the Rainbow Family of Living Light's first gathering in Colorado comes this summer, and the group, a sect of hippies that say they stand for peace and love, appear likely to return to its roots. Sheriff's departments in Grand and Jackson counties alongside U.S. Forest Service officials confirmed that the Rainbow Family appears poised for a month-long gathering in Colorado this summer. Rainbow families can bring thousands of people together for what Vice reported amounts to a weird version of Burning Man, mixing bikers, Jesus freaks, computer programmers, naked yogis, and gutter punks looking to escape the thralls of everyday life. In Colorado, past gatherings led to an uptick in trespassing and illegal camping charges after seven members told police that they took psychedelic drugs before climbing atop Boulder Public Library's roof, the Daily Camera reported. The group gathers each year for about a week, but this year, marking their 50th anniversary, they're expected to stick around for longer. Flyers posted around Jackson County said they'd gather from June 28th to July 28th, said Sheriff Jared Poley, likely near the Granby area. Precisely where they'll gather and how many people might come remains unclear, Poley said. It really concerns me that it's for a full month. There's not a real good way to prepare for it, Poley said. In the past, we've seen issues come out of it like thefts, vandalism, abandonment of trash, animals on Forest Service property. Forest Service spokesman, spokeswoman Reed Armstrong said the agency is aware of the possible gathering, but that, that it's neither permitted nor sanctioned. Groups larger than 75 people require a special use permit, and the Rainbow family has consistently refused to abide by those requirements, she said. We want to assure the community that we are working with our partners and cooperators to prepare for the possibility of a large extended gathering in Colorado, Armstrong said. Serena Roxund, a district wildlife manager with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, said the state agency is also aware of the possible gathering, but without more details can do little to prepare. The group tends to gather on federal lands, she says, so the state agency would likely have little involvement. While reports of Rainbow Family gatherings are often paired with drug use and sometimes sexual assault, Rolling Stone reported in 1993 they've also been described as a band of misfits taking solace within the larger group. For their 2019 gathering in New Mexico, Forest Service representatives noted that they're fairly cooperative with rules meant to protect water and culturally significant sites, the New Mexican reported. For that meeting, they brought propane tanks to abide by fire bans and promised to clean up whatever trash they left behind. Criminal charges can often stem from these meetings, but prosecutors have also dropped many of these charges. The Rainbow Family has no designated leadership and members and take pride in their holistic and communal system, online blogs and profiles show. The group's first meeting was in the Strawberry Lake area east of Granby in 1972. Rainbow Gathering could bring thousands to fragile Colorado backcountry sparking outrage by Spencer McKee, Denver Gazette, March 31st, 2022. In 2006, an estimated 15,000 members of the Rainbow Family Group, often described as hippies and as part of a non-organization, took over a large swath of land in Colorado's Route National Forest during an illegal gathering. The same group may be coming back to the Centennial State this summer. While the annual gatherings of the Rainbow Family of the Living Light are described by some as a celebration of nature and life, others find issue with the massive crowds that the events bring to public land for extended periods of time. 
Not only can Rainbow Family Gatherings cost the Forest Service hundreds of thousands of dollars each year, major concerns also exist regarding the environmental impact of long-term forest use by such a group, large group. In 2006, the National Forest Service had denied the group two permit applications for their Steamboat Springs area gathering, one permit that contained profanity and a second that was denied due to fire safety concerns. The group gathered anyway, citing that a permit requirement violated the constitutional freedom of assembly. In a matter of days, hundreds of violation notices had been issued by Forest Service officers for a range of offenses, including illegal occupancy and use of a national forest, and drug-related offenses. This year, plans circulating the Internet seem to point to Colorado as the destination for the annual summer gathering once again. Two different, presumably related Facebook groups reference Colorado. The first is 2022 Colorado 50th Annual Rainbow Gathering, a group with 1,700 members that has been used to promote events in other states in the past. The second is Rainbow Gathering Vision 2022 Colorado, which implies a destination of Table Mountain, Golden Area, or Strawberry Lake, Granby Area, where the first, interne where the first intentional group gathering took place in 1972. A plan to hold the festival in Colorado is also mentioned in a report from the Grand Gazette, with someone involved in the location selection process stating that the 2022 event will happen in Colorado, but that the exact spot is to be determined. He also notes that the Strawberry Lake site would be likely deemed too vulnerable by the group, possibly due to recent fire activity in the area. While members of the group believe their gathering is well-intentioned, rumors of the group's return to Colorado has drawn criticism online. On the popular forum-based website Reddit, members of a Denver-centric message board with 282,000 members have shown a strong negative reaction, also encouraging the public to contact officials at local National Forest Office about the supposed event. Outrage and concern focuses mostly on damage done to natural spaces by the event in the past, including the creation of informal trails, excessive human and animal waste left in centralized spots, and the stripping of tree branches for burning. Worry that the event could attract criminals has also been expressed. There are obvious environmental concerns that come with any long-term occupation of a space, especially by a large group. Generally, these events are billed as taking place through the first week of July, though many participants can get there early and stay for much longer, with some sources stating that the event can last an entire month. Last year, the Rainbow Gathering event took place in Carson National Forest, New Mexico, near Taos. An Associated Press report on the event noted that Forest Service officials have said that recent gatherings have had little impact on water, erosion, and other areas of concern. The Forest Service is preparing for thousands of people to come and camp en masse in one of Colorado's forests this summer. Online rumors are swirling that our state is the destination for the 50th Rainbow Family Gathering. The group describes themselves as a, a loose-knit organization that operates without leadership. Their events, earthy functions, draw in thousands of people. Facebook groups, presumably associated with the group, have hinted the Table Mountain in Golden or Strawberry Lake in Granby could be this year's destination. A group that large, camped out in the forest for a long period of time, obviously creates an added wildfire risk. The Forest Service says it's necessary to bring in a significant number of resources reduce the impact on nearby towns as well as the public land. Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to The Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Friday, April 1st. 
Today, the Rainbow Gathering is returning to Colorado after 16 years for its 50th anniversary. But it's a mystery of where this week's long confab will take place and when. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. The discovery of gold in the Colorado Territory in the 1850s launched a second gold rush that led to a stampede of people looking to find fame and fortune. Regionally mined ore was often called Pikes Peak Gold, and the dust and ore brought into town wasn't easily spent on its own. Groups like the Clark Gruber & Company opened up a private mint to turn that dust into coins that could be more easily traded for goods and services. On July 25, 1860, the group opened up shop in a two-story brick building on the corner of Market and 16th Streets in Denver, minting $10 gold pieces at the rate of 15 or 20 coins a minute. The coin featured Pikes Peak surrounded by a forest of timber. In three years of operation, they minted $594,305 worth of coins. They were so successful that the U.S. Treasury purchased the business in April 1863. This operation would eventually become the Denver Mint and is the single largest producer of coins in the world. Next, our feature story. The first time the Rainbow Gathering got together was in 1972, and that happened to be in Grand County. The last time they met in Colorado was in 2006, when 10,000 people camped out on public lands in Route National Forest. This unofficial organization has no official leaders nor an official website. But through word of modern mouth like Reddit forums, this group of hippie campers appear to be headed to Colorado to celebrate their 50th anniversary this summer. There is cause for concern, though, about the impact of such a large group on federal lands. But as Jason Blevins reports, one upside so far is the Forest Service knows it's coming. Tamara Chung talks to Jason in today's podcast. Hi, Jason. How are you hey. today? Very well. How are you, Tamara? I'm good. Thanks for talking to us about the Rainbow Gathering. So this is new to me. I'm not from here, and I have no idea what this is. Can you tell our audience what what exactly is the Rainbow Gathering? Well, for 50 years, this group has been uh, holding sort of, they call it impromptu uh, gatherings on public land, forest service land usually, um, around the country, different states all over. And uh, they just kind of started to hint this week that they plan to come back to Colorado for their 50th anniversary. The first ever Rainbow Gathering was uh, on public land near Granby in 1972. So 50 years, so it sounds like they're going to be somewhere here in Colorado. But um, who who are these people? Like, you know, I mean, I have no idea. I think your story mentions they're hippie campers, but do you know who, who are they? What do they represent? Uh, they started in, I think, around Eugene, Medford, Oregon, and in the, in the early 70s. And they, uh, you know, they're peace, harmony, love folks. Um, they have no structure. There is no leadership. There's no headquarters. There's no people in charge. Everybody that attends this event is uh, treated as an equal, I guess. And they, um, they just sort of come together and have, have this big sort of prayer circle-ish type event on July 4th. And that's sort of their trademark, uh, you know, pinnacle apex of the of their gathering sometimes folks are there for a month or longer um the event technically lasts about a week um you're not quite sure where they're going to end up in colorado um 
you know, this is since they have no formal structure, um, it's all just kind of online chatter, you know, and there's some websites out there that say, you know, get ready for the 50th anniversary in Colorado and people in Grand County and the Arapahoe National Forest seem to think that they will be returning to the Arapaho um, uh, for their 50th sometime in July this year. Could be okay. as many as 30,000 people. They usually draw about 10 to 15,000 people for, for these events. So, so it's funny that you mentioned there's no official leaders, there's no official website, but it sounds like they get their message out to one another online and there was even a forum on reddit that they've closed outsiders so it sounds like there's some maybe criticism here or so what's happening in there well yeah we we were kind of watching it yesterday when they kind of announced that it would be coming on so we were on this the subreddit and i guess the reddit people don't much care for that but it's uh they were you know chattering and as you can imagine there were more than a few commenters from Colorado who were, um, let's say, less than enthusiastic and unwelcoming <laughs> to uh, <laughs> the idea of, you know, 10,000 people gathering in the natural forest for a, a week-long party. So they, I, they shut that down today. You can't actually see what they're talking about in there. Um, so that's kind of uh, been a little shift. But I, I think back in the day, they used to have a phone number that you would call and they and then, you know, they would have sort of regional gatherings. So it was word of mouth and it was probably mailings and signs up and, you know, hippie communes or who knew how they did it pre-internet. But now, you know, just like any kind of online community, they're pretty loosely based and there's no one really to, uh, to, to organize, you know, this, these events, but What's interesting is the Forest Service actually has a national incident management team that follows this group around every year. You know, there's 40 something Forest Service law enforcement personnel who uh, go to all these events, track them, attend each one, you know, write some tickets and kind of just loosely police. You know, they, they obviously can't write 10,000 tickets and they're obviously not going to arrest 10,000 people. So it makes it kind of a challenge on their front. And that, you know, their their point is that they should be able to have the right to assemble on public lands at any time. Uh, Forest Service obviously has rules about public gatherings, and they want you to get a permit. And um, since there is no rainbow family boss, then there's nobody to actually sign for a permit or apply for a permit. So kind of an interesting dynamic in terms of this relationship, and it's largely antagonistic between the rainbow family and the Forest Service, obviously. Um, but there's, you know, they have as many as 500 people after each event that kind of stick around and fill in their, you know, pit toilet latrine sort of stuff and replant grasses and do all this stuff. They have medical care. They have, uh, you know, different, a whole bunch of different camps divided across the, you know, as many as, you know, 2,000, 3,000 acres of public land out in the middle of the forest. And as you can imagine, some concerns in Colorado are largely focused around wildfire um you know there's just a lot of valid concern over twenty thousand plus people camping in the middle of the woods and what how that might i don't know spark a wildfire so so it sounds like they clean up after themselves and they they may also be concerned with the environment as well 
Um, but the wildfire is an issue because that's something, you know, wildfires are obviously wildfires because they're kind of out of our control. Sure. And I went to like, you know, the Denver library and had them pull up some, you know, 1972 Denver post articles, Rocky mountain news articles, um, and 1992 articles. And I got a report from the forest service in 1992 and they're, you know, they, a lot of the response from forest service officials are, wow, this wasn't as bad as we thought it was. Um, you know, they, they did a decent job of cleaning up, you know, it's going to take a, whatever, a season or two of growing in the, in the meadows to kind of repair damaged grasses or, or things like that. But largely it's, they don't seem to have too much, uh, you know, they don't seem to have as much of an impact as you would expect if 10,000 people just randomly gathered in the woods for a week long party. But they're, Gosh, we've really changed a lot since 1972, 1992, and even 2006. There's a lot more people in this state, and there's a lot more concerns in these smaller rural communities over, you know, camping. We're writing almost every week about new reservation systems and ways that local communities are cracking down on, on you know, sort of random camping and free-for-all camping around their towns out of a rational fear of, wildfire and people not controlling their campfires and that causing you know some significant impacts to natural resources so we're in we're in a different time but then you know i guess you could say we've been in a different time forever (laughs) and (laughs) no community has ever you know stood up and celebrated the arrival of the rainbow family it's not like they're courted and and you know people get excited when they come and move into the national forest, you know, on the edge of town, hardly, uh, hardly cause for celebration, but, um, talk to folks in Grand County and Arapahoe national forest and they're on alert and they're paying attention. Apparently the rainbow folks send like a scouting party that'll come out and kind of identify a, a final area. Um, they like open meadows, they need a water source. So they find this no spot and then they, you know, that's where they're going to gather and, no one has really been able to stop them from gathering for 50 years. So it's pretty much once they decide where they're going to be, that's it all becomes about managing impacts and, and you know, making sure that community resources, natural resources are somewhat protected. How soon do you think folks will know when this is happening and where it's going to be? Um, reading some of the earlier reports, like in... 92 and 2006 at the last time they were in Colorado uh, officials seem to know as late as early June so barely a month ahead of time um, you know kind of the exact location is has been noted um, it's interesting I found some old documents from, from on a website that they have that uh, from a scouting report when they were trying to figure out where in Colorado they wanted to go and they ended up in Route County um, in 2006 uh, in the Route National Forest um, but they also looked at Grand County and the Arapahoe and identified a number of spots. So there's some spots, you know, Ute Park and Buffalo Park out, out by uh, Kremlin. And um, there's some different locations that they've identified in Grand County before. So I wouldn't be surprised if they picked those as spots mm-hmm. that they'd return this summer. So it sounds like it's it actually could be kind of fun to uh, take a week off and uh, go camping in the National <laughs> Browns, but um so can anyone join this rainbow family yeah they're open to all it's all about peace love <laughs> harmony respect for nature that kind of stuff good old hippie mentality um i don't know about a good time though if i go camping <laughs> i 
kind of don't want to be around 10,000 people. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's fun. (laughs) Well, thanks. Thanks, Jason, for looking into this. It's, it's an interesting, strange story that has popped up this week. So I guess we'll find out more once the event actually uh, comes to be. So yeah, definitely stay tuned. Okay. Well, thanks again, Jason. And if you, if listeners want to catch a story online, it's good. Please go to coloradosun.com. Thanks. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. 30,000 expected at Rainbow Gathering's 50th anniversary in Colorado, sparking wildfire concerns. Arapaho National Forest and Grand Canyon.